0: learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, it's that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Harvey Rich, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. Today, we are continuing our weekly series with various accomplished and interesting people. Our discussions have generally been on science and COVID topics, but we can go wherever our conversations might lead. And if listeners have questions for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse, P-U-L-S-E. I'm very pleased today to introduce today's guest, Angela Wilbrecht, who is a registered nurse who worked for some two decades as a pediatric intensive care unit nurse at UC San Francisco. During the COVID pandemic, she sustained severe vaccine injuries and spent a number of months seeking and finally obtaining treatment that has essentially reestablished normal daily life for her. Angela now works to counsel COVID vaccine-injured patients on potential avenues of treatment, as well as for the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation. And she starred in the important new film, The Unseen Crisis, about the extent of COVID vaccine injury and the medical community's large indifference to vaccine injured people. Well, Angela, let's begin. What have you been thinking about lately?
2: Well, thank you so much. First of all, for having me on, and it was such a pleasure to actually meet you and see you um, in Connecticut for one of the, the screenings of the unseen Crisis. So, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm so grateful to be healthy and have recovered from my vaccine injury, so that I can help other people. And you know, my whole life I've spent helping people. I started off as a labor and delivery nurse um, at Marin Health UCSF and worked my way up very quickly to being in charge of pediatrics, NICU, as well as labor and delivery, and then also became trauma certified. So I've spent my entire life um, helping people. And although I would never wish this injury on anybody, I am grateful that it did happen to me and that I did recover from it and that I could be of support to others. So.
1: Well, you're a very physically active person from what I understand. And in, in you're, you know, off hours activities. And uh, it's surprising to me how, you know, how bad it was even under that context.
2: Yeah. You know, I, prior to getting the vaccine, I, I was extremely fit. Um, I've always practiced, you know, when, when you're in medicine and you, you work in the ER and you see so many unhealthy people and you see so many people on so you know, on pharma drugs after pharma drugs and they're, they're getting other medications to combat the side effects of the meds that they're on. I, I knew very early on in my early twenties that, um, in order to live a long, healthy life, you have to be physically fit. You have to be healthy. Um, so I've always practiced that. I've always, um, taken care of my health. I've always stayed away from drugs. Um, Pharma drugs and all other drugs and, you know, gotten, <laughs> I have to qual- qualify that. I yeah, quantify <laughs> it. like, I don't do anything. Um, but I've, I've just practiced a very, you know, organic, um, healthy way of living. And fortunately going into this vaccine injury, I, you know, was super healthy. So that was, that was on my side, but after my injury, I was extremely ill. You know, I, I really honestly did not think that I would make it. It was, you know, I was cardiovascular compromised. I, there were times where I really could not breathe. I was in the doctor's office every single day. And, um, I was, I was one of the very few lucky ones that when my injury happened, it was uh, January 19th of, you know, uh, 2020 or 2021. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it wasn't such a political thing at that point, you know, the vaccines were out, people were excited about them, you know, and it wasn't such this big political thing that when I got injured, you know, my doctors were telling me that I was vaccine injured. I was like, I'm, I, I just had a bad reaction. I probably am one of those really rare unlucky ones. Um, but they were, they were saying, no, Angela, you know, you, you got injured within, you know, the 12 minute Mark, uh, you know, you're, you, I was injured at the 12 minute Mark and, um, They said you clearly this is a vaccine reaction um we don't know how to treat it we don't know what to do but we're going to make sure that we have every doctor that we can possibly get to work on your case so
1: So, uh, you were in a sense lucky that you had signs not just symptoms that in other words things that they could measure and determine were not just your head being crazy but being real and and that's a big difference in medicine
2: exactly i mean i had um you know my my heart rate was anywhere from the 140s to 180s my blood pressure was through the roof um you know the first blood pressure they took um in the back of the ambulance uh, at the testing site was 220 over 180 they couldn't even believe it Um, and fortunately it came down but um i just was so unstable that you know you get a vaccine and 12 minutes later you end up like this. Um, they knew right away. Um, it wasn't it wasn't taboo on January 19th of 2021 to say that this was a vaccine injury and that this side effect happened. So when they contacted all the doctors from UCSF and they even consulted with doctors at Stanford, everybody wanted to jump on me and take care of me. And I was so lucky because, you know, fast forward even two, three, four months, you know, you couldn't even mention vaccine injury. It's like you couldn't even talk about it. It was it was such a controversial political statement. Um, so I I was really, really lucky. I got treated immediately. I got treated aggressively. Um, and I am back to dancing, obviously traveling. I met you, you know, halfway around the country from where I live. I've been overseas. I'm back to being a nurse. I'm, I'm, you know, dancing again on stage. So, um, in fact, after this interview, I'm going to dance. (laughs) So I'm, I'm really grateful. And I just hope that as a nurse, um, I can help the medical community wake up and, and realize that it's okay. You know, it's okay to talk about these injuries. We have to do the right thing in medicine. We have to treat them. And, we also have to speak up. We have, you know, we went into medicine to protect patients. We didn't go into medicine to protect the hospital or protect pharma or, you know, protect the pocketbook. We went into this to actually take good care of people and and we have to live by that. And I think that most people did go into medicine for the right reasons, but it's really difficult when the licensing boards and, and the government agencies are coming down so hard that they fear, but I think if we all stick up and do the right thing, you know, we can get through this. And I, I, I'm seeing change. I'm actually seeing changes in um, nurses and doctors that that wouldn't speak up that are now speaking up. I have a I have a very um, pro-vaccine doctor that I worked with, a pediatrician who, um, you know, I, I never thought in a million years would have spoken up. And she's actually uh, one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit that we su- you know we're suing the UC system. So I think times are changing. You know, I think so times.
1: Are- I I could say from my experience of forty years in academic medicine, more or less, that there's been a huge amount of gaslighting, that doctors are prone to do that, especially with women, and to deny the validity of real adverse things going on until more or less they're forced to, and they they really don't want to. I think most doctors have an attitude of you got a problem. I'll fix it. And now we're moving on. And if it doesn't work, you know, a real doctor will say, will be honest and say, well, I tried the first thing, but it didn't work. We have other things to do and let's move on and try number two or fix number one and then move to number two and so on, as opposed to just saying, it's all in your head, you know, go see a psych consult. And this, I, what happened in COVID is to me more of the same that, yeah. It's more difficult for a doctor to treat something that didn't work in the first treatment than it is to you know, try the first treatment because the first treatment is the one that's most likely to work. And now you've got to start thinking, if that didn't work, what's really going on and how do I fix it and how do I help? So it's harder and makes it's more work for a doctor and doctor's brain to figure out how to manage that. And I think you know, all things considered, this is a systematic problem that has just come to the fore during COVID.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have to give credit to my primary care physician because these vaccine injuries are so, I mean, they're not new because we've had vaccine injuries since vaccines came out. Um, but I think this is probably the most deadly vaccine and, and the huge rate of numbers, you know, doctors, pediatricians would see vaccine injuries, you know, from the beginning of time since the vaccines came out. But um I, I think that I was just really lucky that my my physician he made sure he contacted allergists and immunologists he card he contacted um, cardiologists he contacted um, neurologists and he had tons of people collaborating because it's it's not an easy thing to fix when you have symptoms in every organ of your body it's widespread and so um, even though he didn't have all the answers he had everybody on board working to collaborate and. You know, I, I think that that is it was a real blessing in my case. Um, you know, I see a lot of vaccine injured where they see one neurologist or one cardiologist and they're like, well, the med I gave you didn't work. Sorry, there's nothing more I can do for you. Um, it's its a really huge puzzle and you need all pieces together to kind of work together to help get people better.
1: Well, to some degree, it's pretty uncharted territory that yeah. when you come in with a consolation, of signs and symptoms that don't fit into an established known disease or condition, then are you treating the signs and symptoms, or are you treating the underlying new condition that nobody really understands?
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that as time has passed, we are learning so much more about these vaccine injuries and how um, you know they are a hyperimmune response of you know our immune system, and there's mast cells that are activated and just getting a handle of what the, you know, true root of the problem is and and treating that versus just treating the symptoms, you know, just slopping on a blood pressure med or, you know, a gabapentin for, for pain, but you actually have to get to the root of the problem. Otherwise, you're just masking it and it's going to continually go on and on.
1: But nobody's studying the root of the problem. Okay. Because that would admit to there being a
2: problem. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there, there are good doctors out there that are doing that. I mean, it's obviously not government funded. Um, although I do have to admit there is one, um, hospital and I can say this cause it's out there. Uh, Yale is studying us. I, you know, I haven't, it, it's been six months since they've taken my blood and my saliva, but they are doing a, a listen study to try and figure this out. Um, it's too slow in my opinion, you know, they created these vaccines at warp speed, you know, six months, and they've had my blood for six months. Um, I don't know. They probably had blood from others longer than me. Um, so I think that they really need to focus on urgency just as fast as they created these as to figuring out the damage that's been done and how to fix it. And uh,
1: Have they enrolled all the subjects for the study, or are they still enrolling?
2: I don't know if it's closed yet, um, but they... They have been enrolling. Like I, I, I was one of the, you know, they they had been enrolling for I think four or five months before I enrolled, and I was really hesitant on an enrolling because I'm I'm healthy now, and so I didn't want to give them bad evidence being that I'm completely recovered and then all of a sudden they have my blood and my blood looks totally normal and fine or they don't find anything. um but then after speaking with the doctors they said no it's 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 good to have everybody whether you know the sickest of the sick and the people who are doing well. Um, I'm not sure it, it is called the listen study I will have to look and see if it's closed, but I I think that they plan on making it a kind of an ongoing study as well, because the more data, the better. I know they want as many people as possible and they are collaborating with other doctors and um, working with other doctors in other countries like Germany. So, you know, I I am, I am pleased. And I, it it was reassuring because in the, the majority of hospitals, major teaching hospitals, they are not doing these studies. um, Although they do know what's going on. I mean, they if you look at the the cardiology departments and the neurology departments these doctors are seeing huge increase in patients with these types of symptoms so it it saddens me that not everybody is jumping up and down screaming you know we've always done that in medicine i mean if 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 you give a new and you know especially coming from a teaching hospital like yourself at yale and you know where i worked for 17 years at a UCSF hospital. I, I've never seen in medicine where, you know, a new drug comes out or a new clinical trial, or you're, you know, you're, you're seeing something rare and you're trying something new to try and save someone's life. And, you know, even all types of like blood, you know, you give blood and they have a, you know, cross match reaction. It's like, you, you were allowed to talk about it. We're allowed to um, raise the alarms and say, Hey, we need to host a round table. We need to discuss And we need to, you know, maybe look at some black box warnings and maybe look at who this might not be um, suited for. And this is the first time I've seen in my entire career at a big, you know, where it's just radio silence. Like you can't discuss it. You can't talk about it. Um, They kind of whisper, they know what's going on, but they won't come out publicly and talk about it. Um, There's doctors at Stanford who are treating the vaccine injured, but where are they coming out and saying, hey... You know, we are taking care of vaccine injured here. They, they're doing it.
1: Well, but... there are websites, you know, of about a dozen places across the U.S. that say they have um, long COVID clinics and vaccine injury clinics. But what they're really doing, I have no idea because there's no, uh, you know, real um, protocol for what you do. Everybody's doing their own thing, more or less. And I don't know how much they share between them.
2: Well, I had one really bad experience, I, you know. Stanford was great for me. I I, I was in the dysautonomia clinic, um, the neurology de- department, and they did a, like a four hour test on me to see if I had dysautonomia and small fiber neuropathy. Um, but I did have one doctor there it was really interesting who who treats the vaccine injured. And he actually asked me, you know, if I was planning on getting another vaccine and when and I looked at him and I was like, are you are you, you know, this one almost killed me why would you think in a million years that I would take another one? It's like somebody having anaphylaxis to penicillin and asking them, when are they gonna take it again? It, it just was mind boggling. I never went back to him again, but there are great doctors there at Stanford who, who are taking care of these injuries and um, doing it in really, and really, and I think too, um, we have so many vaccine injured nurses and doctors that not that we have more credibility but, you know, because all patients' voices matter. and um, But I know that at UCSF, we have several vaccine-injured nurses and doctors. And so when you have your own medical staff um, getting injured and you know them very well, you know these are credible people that are hardworking, that are, you know, have worked there their entire careers, and then all of a sudden they're being forced to retire because a vaccine caused harm to them, um, they're taking it seriously.
1: Oh, they're not calling it coincidence?
2: Um, for the, for the nurses and doctors that I know, no, they're not, they're yeah, not, that's good. Yeah, we're, we're very lucky, but I mean, that's the thing we, you know, we've worked at these hospitals. I, I wasn't working there at the time that I got injured, but, you know, several of the doctors um, that were injured obviously were. And so, you know, it's like having your family member, we're, we're a big family. Um, and it's like having a family member injured and, and, you know, they, they are believed. So unfortunately there's so many vaccine injured that are not you know there's these kids are getting these functional neurological diagnoses and um wanting to admit them into the psych ward and it's it's really catastrophic i mean i spend a lot of my time talking to parents and telling them reassuring them this is not what your child has your child has been vaccine injured and and helping them get to doctors who will treat them and and care for them with love and respect and and believe um believe them
1: yeah well, we're getting to a commercial break point, so let's take a pause. We'll be back shortly. Everybody, please stay tuned. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally.
0: Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code Loud 25 That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Risch
1: with Nurse Angela Wilbrand. We So we were just talking, uh, again, about vaccine injury in, in kids. And it occurred to me that, and, and how this vaccine is the most damaging of any commercial vaccine that's been used, in the U.S. or maybe in the world for all I know. I mean, there've been some like um, the dengue vaccine that were put out and recalled very quickly because of the damage that they did. But this is a wide release vaccine that's still out there and hasn't been recalled. And it reminded me of thalidomide that was on the market for three years causing birth defects and, and early pregnancy losses. And it was out there for three years. The FDA, as I understand, did not ultimately approve it in the U.S., but it was out in Europe for three years. And the manufacturer had applied to the FDA six times for approval, and the FDA managed to withstand that onslaught and, and rejected the approvals. But it's still, three years is a lot of damage to pregnant women who took the medication and to their damaged children, physically damaged children who had to cope with a life of uh, of not having you know limbs and uh, and whatever and uh, it's very difficult to see a medical care system that one went into to provide health benefit, recovery treatment and so on be so callous as to think that, oh, well, the drug manufacturer wants us to be out there, so we'll just leave it out there until we're absolutely forced to take it off the market because of how much damage it's doing. Yes. Uh, you know, and and I've, I've made this, this point about public health, that public health, I've come to the conclusion that public health is the enemy of medicine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You'd think that it's a comrade in arms, but I, I think not. And the reason I say that is because In medicine, a doctor and a patient come to the best options for the patient to choose. And it's individual. And every patient may have differences and different modes of treatment and different plans and and so on. And so everything is individual. Public health is more or less one size fits all. But the problem with public health is there's an ethical problem because if you're Guided by Jeremy Bentham like optimality, which means the most good for the most people, then you would say, Oh, well, this 40 year old man's got five functioning organs, and these five people over here all have an organ that's failing and will die unless they get a transplant. And so we'll take the five out of him and kill him in order to make these other five people alive. So we get five people alive and one dead instead of one person alive and five dead. So there's public health. That's the problem with public health, that there's a limit to what you can do that is good for, on average, but bad for individuals. And that's what we've been through, that public health has been in major denial of differences in risk of serious adverse events from the infection, let alone um, adverse events from, from the vaccines. We already knew at the beginning of the pandemic that there's a thousandfold difference in mortality or more between infections in young adults, children and young adults, and infections in people over 70 or 80 years old. And we never, never did anything to deal with that strat- risk stratification in public health. You know, I mean, this is dereliction of duty or in co- public health incompetence not to have acted on that, not to have acted on, on natural immunity, which is known you know, it wasn't like this virus came from Mars where natural immunity doesn't exist. This virus is a natural, although man-engineered product, and therefore has the same knowledge base that all respiratory infections have, which is that natural immunity is very strong and lasts for a long time, if not forever, and therefore is a method of combating the uh, the seriousness of the of the pandemic. In a pandemic, you know, Our job is not to limit the cases in the pandemic. That is a complete misrepresentation of how you manage a pandemic. What we do in managing a pandemic is to manage the seriousness. So we want to keep people from being damaged by the infection. We want to keep people out of the hospital. We want to keep them from dying. We do not want to keep them from getting COVID. That is a mistake. And if people are propagandized into thinking that COVID equals death, then they'll accept you know, managing the pandemic on the basis of cases, but that's wrong. And so the propaganda has gotten away with representing that. And that's how we've had all of these misrepresented and untoward and bad decisions about the pandemic because of treating cases instead of treating patients.
2: Yeah. Well, the propaganda has been such a horrible thing. I mean, they, they locked us up. They, they told us that we, you know, can't go to gyms, can't do everything that's healthy. And all we could do is watch TV. And I mean, even on TV, they showed us things that were so untrue, like men in China walking with their briefcase perfectly healthy, and then all of a sudden collapsing. We know that viruses don't just automatically kill a normal healthy person walking down the street and then they fall over and die. But that's what they were showing us. And so they installed fear in us that we thought we were dealing with this completely foreign beast that was just going to come here and kill us all. And we had to, you know, completely do everything that was the worst. You know, so many people gained weight during the pandemic. People didn't get outside in the sunshine. You couldn't go to the beach.
1: That's the (laughs) COVID-25.
2: You couldn't... (laughs) I mean, here we are in California, you couldn't go on the beach and get some vitamin D and get some exercise. You had to stay at home and watch all the propaganda thing, you know, everything to do with making us sick. Um, you know, they basically, they, they wouldn't even give you any any advice as to how to, how to be healthy. Just basically stay at home until you turn blue and then come to the ER and then we'll intubate you and give you remdesivir and then you'll die. I mean, that's, and so people were just terrified. And the thing with the kids, it's like, that's what really gets me, you know, having been a charge nurse for pediatrics is, you know, we we knew that kids did not, healthy normal kids did not die from this. The chance of a, a healthy normal kid dying from COVID was next to nothing. So that's not a pandemic of children. We also knew very early on, I remember when our hospital started getting vaccinated, the people that were vaccinated, they, they ended up getting COVID. We knew that within a month. And so to force this upon kids so that they could protect grandma and grandpa was such an outright lie and there's no long-term studies you know these children were not going to die from covid and to put something in them that we that the government already admitted that can cause myocarditis in children and myocarditis is never mild in my opinion i i've seen a few cases in my career and you know, you, you take a heart and you inflame it, I, I truly don't believe it's ever going to be the same.
1: No, uh, it scars over and comes back when cardiac function declines in later age.
2: Yes, exactly. And so I, I just think what we've done, what we've done to these children has been completely irresponsible. Um, they need to come out and, and admit it and, and start trying to figure out how to deal with this issue, deal with this problem. And I, what what really surprises me the most is you know i trusted i i always trusted our three letter agencies i i trusted our government i was never one of those that um disbelieve them in my career i have seen vaccine injured kids where moms would come and say you know my child got mmr or dtap and they're vaccine injured i believe them 100% i just thought that they were rare maybe they were medically fragile they were not the norm um but i did believe them but what I always thought, kind of like when I got into nurse, I started practicing nursing in 99. And that was the year that the rotavirus got pulled. And that that vaccine got pulled um, because of less than 100 cases of intussusception. And even that is not death. I mean, I've taken care of that as well in the hospital. And it's, it's, not, it's not a good thing to happen, but it's not. I've never seen. I haven't had patients myself die from it.
1: If you um, get to it quickly, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You're,
2: you're in good, you're in good shape. And so I thought, well, the government pulled this vaccine, you know, without people dying necessarily from it. And so they are looking closely at side effects. They're really monitoring and making sure that things are safe and that clinical trials are done properly. And, you know, they, they have our best interest at heart. And now I, it just makes me really fear all these years I've given so many vaccines in my career. You know, I really, I really sometimes have a hard time sleeping at night knowing, you know, I, and I haven't had the chance to really go and do the research, but I think that we need to look back. This, this, this COVID vaccine has really opened up a dirty can of worms, um, into money, power, corruption, And we need to go back and start looking at studies from all of these other vaccines, you know, HPV, all all of them really. And to look at the, because now we know, which is something that I didn't know before that how flawed data is. You can make any, any trial or any part of data, um, you know, exactly how you want the outcome to be. And so I I truly don't believe knowing that they lied um, in the clinical trials with the vaccine injured. You know, we had Maddie to Gary, we had, Brian Dressen we have we've had multiple other people that were seriously harmed during the clinical trials they lied about their their side effects you know Maddie DeGary they put that she had basically a stomach ache and this poor little girl is paralyzed and has gastroparesis and has a feeding tube to this day um and so it just makes me truly wonder how how badly injured others were in clinical trials how much they lied about the data because i know that the Lead investigator on Maddie's case at um, Children's Hospital in Cincinnati. He was out. I think it was on day sixty-two or sixty-three. He came out and said the vaccines are perfectly safe for children twelve to fifteen. Maddie was Maddie was in the hospital when he came out and said that. It's like how how can you how can you sleep at night? How ethically can you sleep at night knowing that this child was directly harmed from a vaccine, and you're out there telling the general public that they're completely healthy you know oh, well
1: I, I can answer that we've raised a generation of sociopaths that yeah. doctors are the first ones to be sociopaths and the reason for that is that they get inured to human suffering the practice learning the practice of medicine means you have to be able to tolerate how much suffering, A patient has in order to do good to fix them basically and so you have to separate your mind into two parts one that may have empathy but that's not the one you if you have empathy it blocks you from being able to be a rational technical person you don't want your surgeon sobbing while he's trying to fix your aorta you know that uh, you need to be able to do that well what happens happens is that the empathy part doesn't make money and the technical part does and most or many doctors become overly technical and we've seen this time and time again um there's a um there there's an, uh, uh a a a maxim in the Talmud that says the best of doctors should go to hell <laughs> and, and you know because doctors were not curing people by and large in that era and we don't even know how much they were helping people in spite of purporting to, to do that and they had a cavalier attitude of you come to me i provide a service and i'm not you know really interested in you the person i'm interested in fixing your disorder and that's characteristic of medicine and, and that's what happened for example in in 1930s in germany the doctors in the society were the first ones to sign up to the nazi party and more than half of doctors signed up to the party because they thought they were treating society those doctors thought that that part of society was a cancer and they were going to treat that cancer and get it rid of rid of it from society so they thought they were doing good by their you know immoral unethical beliefs and actions i think doctors are at very grave risk of not being moral if they just let themselves not be moral they could be financially ethical and and interpersonally immoral and it's easy to do that if your if your intellect does that and you know instead of your common sense and and i think it's it's a big problem that doctors and and, and technocrats in general this is the banality of evil technocrats just keep their technical minds working and come up with technical solutions for things that they shouldn't be solving. You know, that it's immoral to, to do the technical work. Well, that decision was made long ago when they decided to just do the technical part and left it at that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I find too, I actually was just on a show right, right before this one with um, Steve Hirsch and uh, Dr. Renata Moon, um, <clears throat> who's a pediatrician and, um, but what I'm finding is that, like you said, a lot of these doctors are just corrupt, but they're also persuaded by trust <clears throat> in where they were trained. So for me, for example, I was always trained that vaccines were safe. I never learned in nursing school anything about vaccines other than our, you know, how our immune system works and that vaccines are safe. And what was really surprising to me was when we did this um, airing of the unseen crisis in New York, we were paired with another physician who did a documentary. Um, where the documentary is called "Just Give It to Them," and he was a he was a PhD um, in public health, and he did this documentary about going into the communities, the minority communities in New York, and vaccinating these uh, these people who were hesitant. And so we had this conversation, we had a Q&A afterwards with his documentary and the one that I was in. And somebody in the audience said, you know, after watching both documentaries back to back, how do you know that these vaccines are safe and effective when, when you just saw this documentary with all these vaccine injured? And basically, the answer to his question was the CDC told him so. And so a lot of physicians just believe in what they're being told. Um, they don't have the time to research it. And so, for example, getting back to Dr. Renata Moon, who was on our show, she actually testified at the Ron Johnson hearing. Um, and why she's kind of a, a big deal right now is because she lost her job. She had been working um, for over 25 years as a pediatrician, and she was working for a hospital in Washington. And she decided to go to this Ron Johnson hearing. She, she I remember
1: was I was there also that's yes. by that hearing that's right
2: yeah she she went there she notified um the ho- she notified the hospital she was doing this she notified them that she would not be rese- representing the hospital whatsoever it was it was her own um you know uh desire to learn and to question and to to you know be science-based and try and figure this out and she um basically got a letter back in march saying you know kind of how dare you do th- you know The the hospital didn't like the fact that she testified and what she testified at that hearing that you were at was just basically the truth. She pulled out, you know, one of the reasons why she never prescribed these MRNA technology is that the the insert packet was blank. There was nothing on it. And she was also starting to hear cases of, um, you know, kids and friends of friends whose kids were developing myocarditis. And so she thought there's no way this can be safe you know i've only seen a few in my entire career and all of a sudden i'm seeing so many that i can't ignore this and so here she is going to you know the washington dc to testify and and raise questions and she's since then because of that has been fired from from her hospital and i just think it's 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 so sad because you either potentially lose your job and lose your career, or you keep going along with just closing your eyes and being blind and having no heart, no empathy for the harm that's been done. And so I really, I really admire these brave doctors who, you know, like Dr. Moon said, she said, it's worth it to me. It's absolutely worth it to me. If I, I'm here to save lives. It's worth it to me. And I, I, have been very fortunate. I'm, I'm shocked here in California. They have not come after my nursing license, but to be honest with you, if they, if it means me speaking out that I can never work in a hospital again, um, if it means that they come after my nursing license, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that because I, you, nobody can buy me to do the wrong thing or to keep my mouth shut. My, my duty and my job is to protect people. And I went into this, um, with a love of taking really good care of people. You know, I came from, I I was in a trauma myself when I was a little girl and I lost my father in this horrific car accident. And I had the best of the best uh, medical people taking care of me in this hospital. And that's what motivated me when I was eight years old, that I wanted to be able to give back. And and give the care that was given to me, um, because I truly know what a difference it makes. I mean, I uh, when you have something really bad happen to you, you remember those. You either remember really good nurses and doctors or really bad ones, and it can change your trajectory in life if you have compassionate, loving people who are there for you and who want to um, protect you and and do the take the best care. And so, um, I I'm willing to lose. Everything that I worked really hard for, my my identity, part of my identity, is being a really good nurse, and um, and I I hope that with enough people speaking out, I hope people get more brave. I know it's really tough to go through the scrutiny of having the boards come after you and hospitals come after you and losing right. your life. but yeah, it's-
1: let, let's come back to this. We have to take another commercial break, so let let's uh, take a break for a moment. Everybody, please come back.
0: AmericaOutloud.news, liberty and justice for all.
2: The pandemic
0: may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back, this is Dr. Harvey Risch with
1: Nurse Angela Wilbra. So we were just talking about what I've called when I talk about this Plan B, that everybody who speaks out needs a Plan B that uh, there's so much evil out there that Dr. Moon wasn't fired in order to keep her from talking. She was fired out of retribution, which is an, which is an evil action. It has no, her firing has no um, sway on your choice whether to speak out, my choice whether to speak out, or more or less anybody's choice to speak out, because people like us know right from wrong and we're willing to to be on the and want to be on the right as much as we possibly can and so for the, for the reasons that i've said we and she need backup plans because this has been happening and those backup plans can include legal action against the employers as i think she's doing if i'm not mistaken and others have been doing and that's exactly you, you know the the Issues that we face is we are not powerless. It takes work. It takes effort. People in the middle of their careers or toward the end of their careers may not have as much stamina or you know or engagement for doing this. But look, when it comes down to saving our society, wh- what do we want to do? What do we want to be known for? What do we want our children and grandchildren to think? Of? Uh, where? What did you do in the war, Daddy, Grandpa, or whatever? You know, what did you do in the COVID war?
2: Yep. Well, I, you know, I, I, I never thought I've never, you know, personally sued anybody before. And I was asked to join a, a lawsuit. I'm one of six uh, plaintiffs. Um, Warner Mendenhall is, is my attorney along with um, Jeremy Friedman out here in California. So we have a whole team of attorneys working. Um, but I, this one was really important to me because it is a class action lawsuit. We are representing all the all the employees um, who were either forced to get vaccinated or, you know, had horrible things happen to them because they chose not to get vaccinated. And, um, you know, kind of where I come into the lawsuit is really like the informed consent part of it, you know, because if you, if you look at informed consent, um, there's two aspects of it. There's the consent part and with you know as you know in medicine uh with consent there can never be force there can never be fraud there can never be coercion and so many people especially in the medical field firefighters uh, you know first line responders actors actresses you know you were forced there there was coercion there was force there that was part of the consent um and then the informed part for me the lawsuit that that I'm a plaintiff in um is that if a hospital has knowledge that something is causing harm, they need to give out that information. And you know, we believe that many of these, like the UC hospitals, but many of these huge teaching hospitals, they have this information. They have a whole database full of, of knowledge and, 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 and patients that clearly show that these are dangerous. And, and when you go in to get your COVID vaccine, you're not given that information. You're told that it's safe and effective. You're not told that, you know, uh, young women have a much higher chance of being injured. People with Elos danlos Syndrome, you know, people with autoimmune issues are at risk. Um, you're not told that your kid could get myocarditis. I mean, you're not given all of this information. You're not told that these hospitals are seeing it. You're not told that Yale is doing a study regarding these injuries. Um, so well, I think- You're,
1: you're not told- th- anything about what the hospital has information about. You're told the CDC says these are safe and effective. Basically so that if there's any legal jeopardy, we just go point to the CDC out there and say they're responsible. Right?
2: You know we can't sue them. So I've actually had conversations with um, the CDC and the FDA and I was in a meeting with with the bigwigs. And Malone and Ryan Cole, Jessica Rose, Maddie DeGarry was there with her mom Steph, uh, Ernest with his, you know, you know, the loss of his child and, and um Martha, who's another amazing lady who worked for HHS. And we 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 had an hour with them and we talked, we you know, we I, I thought after we had that meeting, oh, they're gonna they're gonna listen to us. You know, we we just brought them this wealth of information that they're going to do something with it. And that, that was my naivety back then when I thought I was still on their side. Like I, we were a team, like th- these are the people that I've trusted. And once we tell them what's going on, they're going to, they're going to really look into this. And they said that they would have follow-up meetings with us. They told us that, you know, they gave us their emails. We could email them anytime we wanted. And it was crickets. I mean, we, we never got our follow-up meeting. Um, they basically listened to all our, all of our information and I'll never forget. They, they allowed us to ask questions and they said that they would get back to us on those questions <laughs> that never happened. And so now if I had a redo, if I could do it all over again, my question for them would be is how do you sleep at night? Like really, how do you go to bed at night? Um, because I wouldn't be comfortable if I were them, I would be very, very uncomfortable, you know, and, and looking back, you know, I remember Ernest who lost his, you know, beautiful boy, his 16 year old boy to myocarditis. You know, we, it was on a zoom meeting and there's all these people on the screen. And what I, you know, I was so taken, I was, you know, emotional. I was crying because, you know, Ernest is a good friend of mine and looking back, I really wish that I could have looked at them. I, 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 you know, we, we did have somebody else who was there, who was watching them and they could see them kind of getting fidgety in their chair, or sometimes they would turn off their zoom camera because maybe it was too painful or they, they didn't want to see it. But my question for them really is how, how do you sleep at night? Knowing what you know now.
1: So they it's cognitive distance. They, they basically think, well, these things happened. We know they happened, but so many other people got benefit that it outweighs all of this damage. That's what they think. This is again the the, the pathological public health model of, of, you know, so many people had to pay, whether they had to pay in, you know, in, in adverse events in order for the great majority to have benefited. Of course, that assumes that the great majority benefited, which we don't know to be true at all. In fact, we know not true.
2: But how much damage is too much, though? I mean, when you have tens of thousands of people dying, I mean, it was like by February, we knew that the death count was way too much. I mean, just barely
1: so there you have the failure of public health because you're giving this uh, product to the entire population. The entire population is almost entirely healthy. So you can have at most a minuscule adverse event rate in- something that you give to the entire population. If somebody comes to you and they're sick and they've got some chance of dying, you can give them something that's hazardous because it's a rational choice to take a 10% risk from a med versus a 30% risk from a disease, you know. But it's not rational to take a 10% risk from a med when you have a 0 or 0.001% chance from the infection that you may or may not even get. And so the problem there is they did not recognize the risk benefits that were actually being invoked in this. And this is a major failure of public health. Had they stratified, had they said this should be used in elderly people or people with comorbidities, chronic conditions, you know, and 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 that's really the intended audience to who need to be protected, then the risk balance would be, okay, so these people now have maybe a 1% chance of dying from COVID, at least in the first year of, of the infections. And so if the, the vaccine is probably less than a 1% chance of doing damage, but maybe a tenth of a percent. So then it makes sense to actually consider the risk-benefit trade-off. But that's not the whole population. That is a subset at high enough risk that makes the equation worth evaluating. That is not what was done. That is the fraud, fraud and, and incompetence in public health.
2: Exactly, exactly. Because in my opinion, you know, one death is too many for a child. And when you have, I, I can't even tell you, Dr. Rich, how many parents of children i i help take care of and you know i've got some little ones i've got some you know in other parts of the world that i'm helping um germany um i've got kids that you know were in college and had to move back at home with their parents because they were too sick to go to school it's I, like
1: i know one i've got a friend of of our younger son that has that happened to her and, and 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 she's not doing well and and uh, it's a big issue
2: yeah it's just it's it's unreal it's like how how can we be okay with this? And, you know, we, we have to, we have to make right at this point. They, these people deserve a huge apology. I mean, I know it'll never happen, but um, it's, it's really unfortunate in my, in my opinion. I, that's another thing too, you know, um, working at a big hospital, we had a huge, ethics committee. And we had attorneys that work for the hospital. And one of the things that I remember in like yearly meetings, we would have to go to is that they would talk about if a mistake was made, the best way to avoid a lawsuit in in medicine, number one is to have a relationship with your patient, Mm -hmm. you know, develop this relationship to where, you know, they know that you care about them. And then the second, um, you know, biggest thing to avoid lawsuits which, you know, when you work for a big hospital where you're doing, you know, emergency medicine and lots of clinical trials and really sick people um, is to always tell the truth. So if I'm clean. Yeah. If a mistake was made, I mean, that was part of my job as a charge nurse. If we if we made the slightest little med error, if we gave, you know, too low of a dose, you know, there was no bad outcome. But no matter what, if any, any, doesn't matter how small it was, you make a little mistake, and you go directly to the to the patient, and you tell them and that that creates this form of trust. You know, we're all human beings, we all make mistakes. And so that's kind of the environment that I grew up in is that you are number one, take good care of people and number two are completely honest. And so I think going forward, the only way that we're going to get out of this is to come clean. You know, the, the data is there. We 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 know it. We have all the data to show how bad this was. And yet they still want to hold to their guns. I mean, it's like it's like the, the the comedy circus when when Biden and Fauci and even Trump, like not to make it political, but you know, they were all coming in saying, you know, wear one mask, oh no, wear two masks, oh keep six feet of distance, oh, but you know, you can you can take off your mask when you're sitting in the in the restaurant. But the minute you get up, you put it back on. I mean, there was no science behind any of that. And and they never have come out and said, you know, gosh, we we really like mismanaged it. We didn't know what we were doing. We were you know, doing our best at the time. But, you know, the you know, all the lies that we were told about how if you take it, you're not going to you're not going to catch COVID and you're not going to transmit it. So many people that I know that were young and healthy took it because they didn't want to get COVID and, and transmit it to someone else. Did they ever come out on TV when they told us that we wouldn't transmit it and say, hey, well, we were wrong. Clearly, well, you the know.
1: CDC did say it on August 11th of last year, a year oh, ago, they said they have- that, that the vaccines do not prevent transmission. When I was younger and, and would think about our government. I would, and my father was was a government employee at the Veterans Administration Hospital, the psychology services in L.A. for many years. He ran the service. And talking about government and government functions, one thought of the old aphorism: "Good enough for government work," meaning that government is a low quality but adequate provider of services and knowledge and so on. That means that it wasn't lying to you. It just wasn't trying very hard. That was kind of how people perceived government. And now, of course, what we've seen is the complete flip side, that government is our enemy, that the U.S. government has literally become our enemy, and that lying to the people to the extent that they did and the corruption that they've done to the extent that they've done, harming people to the extent that they've done and doubling down tripling down over all of that is mean evil and puts makes the government the enemy and this there this is a fascist state when when the government is the enemy the the government needs to be afraid of the people but now we have the people afraid of the government and this is a a major issue why we cannot keep a government that is our enemy and not our 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 workers for for our good
2: Exactly, and I I think too that the only way going forward is to to regain trust, especially in medicine, is to number one admit wrong, but then also figure out a way to fix it. I mean that's the other thing. When we harm people in the hospital, if we make a mistake and we hurt somebody, we take really good care of them. We we hold their hand. We care for them. We fix them, and so nobody is going to have trust. In in medicine, that that's the really unfortunate thing is that people are and I and I'm seeing this already with with the vaccines, you know, all childhood vaccines. Uh, so many people that are that were pro vaccine, they don't want to give their, you know, the vaccine uptake rate is very low, right? You know, compared to what it was prior to the the COVID vaccines coming out. And I think there's such a um, distrust in medicine and doctors and 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 nurses and and our government that. Um, we need to we we need to fix that. Well,
1: because... for, our eyes have been opened. You know yeah. think about it. Half of the childhood vaccines are not communicable between children. why Why does a, would a school mandate tetanus vaccines? Tetanus yeah. cannot be gotten from another person, okay? So where is the reasoning for mandating it? Half the half the childhood vaccines are not communicable by between children. Therefore, there's no state interest. There's no school interest if a person chooses, a rational person, if they think the vaccine is safe, would choose to take it, then why mandate it when there's no state interest in in doing so?
2: No, I mean, so many of the things don't make sense. It's like, as when I was a labor and delivery nurse, um, I was having to give the hep B vaccine within, you know, a day of life. It was like, we would be we would be giving vitamin K and hep B like, you know, within vitamin K within two hours of birth. And then hep B was the one that really didn't make sense to me because if the parents were hep B negative, I kept thinking like, why am I giving this brand new baby? Like hasn't even really had breast milk at this point. And we're giving them a shot for something that they're not going to get. And it just never, never made sense to me. And, And I noticed that on our unit, you know, the doctors that would give birth and the nurses that would give birth, none of us would give our, I mean, even though we were pro-vaccine, we would never give our babies hep B because it just did not make sense. I mean, our babies were not going to have sex. They were not going to be doing IV drugs. And so, so.
1: So you defer them, you know, you do if you don't know what the, the status of the parents or the mother in particular is all right, well, you don't have to give it on the first day, give it two months later or whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It just, it, you know, looking back, none of it, none of it makes sense makes me want to question everything i've got my turtles all the way down um book and i'm dying to read it i just haven't had time because i have too many vaccine injuries to take care of but i i really want to go back and look at everything and and i think that you know doctors and scientists really need to go back and look at what we've done in the past um and have kind of like a truth and reconciliation as to what what went what happened what went wrong and how we could prevent this from ever happening again because we've killed people yes we've killed and harmed you know healthy healthy people that would have done just fine with COVID, and we we kept treatments that would have worked for them you know we knew there was repurposed drugs that um could have helped them we we knew that Getting their immune systems well, giving them making sure their vitamin D levels were high, making sure they were fit and active and and healthy and sleeping well and you know, having these meaningful relationships. Instead, we did the worst. We made people so sick during that pandemic. We did the worst thing for them. And then we also put a yeah. deadly vaccine on top of it and really
1: Well, I agree with you. It was done to us, and we do we need the people who did this to be held accountable and we need a truth and reconciliation period and th- there's, the only way we can get out of this in any wholesome way is to do that because this will fester if that is, does not occur exactly. so,
2: um,
1: uh, so we are actually out of time I said this would fly the hour would fly by and, and it has um, so I hope everybody's enjoyed our discussion and if you have questions or commentary for me please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse yeah, so Angela this has been really great I've enjoyed this completely in this discussion and thanks everybody for listening and please come back again next week.
2: Thank you, Dr. Risch.